Hi, it's the creator, host, and producer of Evermore Poe, Chris Kosach. As you know, our story is based on the real-life account and mostly untold story of Edgar Allan Poe's teen years, for which I spent more than a decade researching. as more like 20 years, to be honest. Be sure to stay tuned after this episode to learn the facts in the case of Mr. Poe, where I share exactly what is true in today's story. And trust me, there's a bunch. Before we get started, though, I'd really like to thank you for your overwhelmingly positive response to this tale. Please be sure to follow this podcast so you're one of the first to know when there's an update. And I'll be ever more grateful, see what I did right there, if you'll kindly share my story with your friends. So with no further ado, let's get started. This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent and tragic youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 4 Panic set in as Eddie placed the lifeless boy back on the dirt, repeating the same actions as before. With each fist-clenching clap on the child's back, he became more and more terrified that it was already too late. No, 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 Eddie pleaded out loud. Tears welled in his eyes as he fought the tragic possibility. Finally, out of sheer frustration, he pounded the boy's chest one last time with all his might and frustration. Such force brought out a loud, watery cough from the boy. Canal water spouted from him like a mountain spring. Next came a series of gags, and finally one guttural gasp. Eddie rose to his knees, his eyes ablaze with newfound hope. He lifted the child into a sitting position and watched as signs of life gradually came back to him. His shocked silence gave way to a measured calm. Then Eddie watched as the boy turned his small, pale face towards him and slowly looked up. At first, the boy was in shock, then confusion, and finally, sheer horror. He began to cry as he realized what had just happened and how close he had come to death. Eddie breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, thank God. Eddie sat close to the boy, still lying on his side on the muddy ground. He patted the boy's sopping wet shoulder with brotherly sympathy. What had just been a pleasant evening breeze was now a frigid blast of wind on the boys as they sat in the wind tunnel of the canal. Eddie reached for his dry jacket still lying on the ground and placed it over the boy's shoulders. Are you okay? Eddie managed to ask. The child ignored the question, sobbing quietly as he wiped tears from his face. Are you all right? Eddie repeated. The tiniest reply squeaked out of the boy in frozen stutter as he stared blankly ahead. <laughs> yes. Eddie tried to lighten the mood. I know you. You go to the academy on the hill. The boy nodded, his teeth now in full chatter. What's your name? Robert. Robert what? Robert Stannard, replied the boy sheepishly. Eddie didn't push it. He knew the boy was still in shock. He wasn't much better himself. But with another burst of cold air came a rush of clarity, and he spoke again. What were you doing out here, Robert? How did you come to fall in the canal? The boy looked at him as if to answer the question. But when their eyes locked, he began to cry again. It's okay, Eddie said. We don't have to talk. It was getting darker now. Eddie knew they had to move. It's cold, Eddie said to the boy, who nodded with his head in a cold shudder. Yes, the boy managed to say, home. 
Eddie helped the boy to his feet and looked down. It was too dark to see the mud stains on his school uniform, but he knew they were there. He slowly began to walk down the tow road towards the warehouses and the city of Richmond beyond. They stayed far from the edge of the canal. Along the way, Eddie got the boy to open up about how he'd fallen into the canal. So, Eddie repeated the story, let me get this right. You followed us to the river after school? Yes, sir, the boy said. How many times? Just today, sir. Just today, Eddie repeated. And please don't call me sir. My name is Edgar, but no one really calls me that. No one? Well, Headmaster Clark does, and my parents, when I'm in trouble, which, come to think of it, is pretty often. But you should call me Eddie. Most people do. Okay, Eddie. Robert repeated the name. How old are you, Robert? Ten. The two boys walked through the brick arch that separated the docks from the beginnings of the city of Richmond. This was where the warehouses gave way to the pubs. The pubs turned into inns and taverns. Finally, inns became cottages and the townhouses beyond. So back to you, Robert, said Eddie. You said you followed us? Why? I see you and your friends on the quad each day. You're always having a laugh. And I don't know... You seem so happy. Eddie recognized a glimpse of sadness in the boy's words. I guess I just wanted to see where y'all go after school lets out. So today, I knew I had some time. My pa is at the courthouse. He is out an awful lot. It's just me and my mom most of the time. She's always saying I should make new friends. So I figured I had some time after school, and I would tell her I was looking into making new friends. Looking into making new friends, Eddie asked. Like, from the bushes? It was the first laugh they ever shared, and the blood began to rush back through their fingertips. Eddie felt more confident that the boy was going to be all right, and decided upon a bold question. Um, Robert, what exactly did you see, pray tell? Eddie asked. Robert confessed to watching the boys drinking from a silver flask and subsequently choke on the bitter taste. He enjoyed watching these future leaders of Richmond spit tobacco, especially when it came to the spitting contest. But Robert's favorite part of spying on the boys came in the form of the many new curse words he had learned that day. Mother would faint if only she knew. Robert told Eddie that he wanted so badly to be a part of their club that he had almost given himself up. But before that could happen, the group called it a day and began to disperse in different directions. That's when Robert became confused about who to follow back to town. He went on to explain that Jack and Eddie were randomly selected, and he hadn't considered the pair also separating outside of the city, an area he had never been to before. He explained that, initially, he was going to follow Jack home, but at the very last minute, he changed course to follow Eddie along the edge of the canal. That's when he lost his footing and fell into the drink. The rest was a blur. Why didn't you just swim? Eddie asked. Swim? Robert was incredulous. You can swim, can't you? Uh, no, sir. Uh, I mean, no, Eddie. For an adept swimmer like Eddie, the thought of anyone living through blistering Virginian summers in a city surrounded by multiple swimming holes, the idea of not knowing how to swim was mind-boggling. Right. Eddie slapped his hands on his soaking wet pants. Well, Robert Stannard, first we get you home, and then maybe we can discuss a proper swim lesson. 
Edgar knew the waterlogged duo would make for a curious sight walking through the center of downtown Richmond. So when they spotted the lamplighter beginning to make his evening rounds, the boys dodged him and the puzzled looks of pedestrians by crossing to the dark side of the street. Once he had his bearings, Robert led his way up the hill towards the Capitol building in the direction of the Standard Home. Each step was a laborious task in wet trousers, but the boys managed to push on until they finally reached the upscale neighborhood of Court End. The Standard House was one of the largest homes on the block, stately with a well-tended front garden. As the boys approached the colonial brick structure, Addie imagined the hero's welcome he would be receiving. After all, it wasn't every day you saved someone's life. Eddie wrote the story in his head. Robert's parents would open the door, a look of surprise and awe on their face. They would then quickly usher their son inside the stately home, along with his hero, Savior, where they would be plied with hot tea and dry towels. In immense gratitude, the family would invite Eddie to sit in the parlor where he would regale them with an animated account of how he single-handedly rescued their little boy from certain death. He would be hailed a hero, and before long, everyone in Richmond would know the story. If only it had gone that way. When the door opened, it wasn't any member of the Stannard family at all. Rather, an elderly servant stood looking back and forth at the dripping wet boys with a surprised look upon his face. How they must look, Eddie thought. Just as he opened his mouth to explain their case, the servant uttered a few words, but none of them to Eddie. The next thing he knew, Robert Stannard, still wearing the borrowed jacket, was escorted into the townhouse, and the door swiftly closed behind. Eddie remained on the landing, staring at a brass knocker. Join us for part two of this chapter, coming up in the next episode.